Turn Up The Talk podcast, tackling mental health together. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Turn Up The Talk. You're joined by Paddy and Lockie. How are you today, Lock? Yeah, I'm good. I'm pretty excited for this one. Yeah, mate, I'm super excited. We are recording out of the Radio Hub studios here in Sydney, Alexandria, and today's episode is brought to you by the beautiful, wonderful, amazing... Clovelly Hotel. Tuesday night is comedy night with the one and only Will Gibb, and also check out their website for free deals. They've got Kids Eat Free one night, Palmy Night, which is their one of their main dishes, so you won't be disappointed. Best Palmy in Sydney. And you know what? Tuesday comedy night, I think they do like 220 different pizzas. I don't know if it's that many, but yeah. Uh, you know what? Check it out on their Instagram. Find yeah. out for yourself. I'm a pepperoni guy. And I like their prawn one. Oh, I don't yeah. eat seafood. What's your sushi go-to? Because so sushi is seafood. Yeah. But it's my favorite food, sushi. But, cause, but, um, but my, your my... favorite food is sushi, but it's chicken schnitzel sushi. Yeah. Okay. Well, my mum used to crumb fish and tell me it was schnitzel when I was a kid. So it's kind of scarred me. Thanks, Nicole. Love you. Anyway, today's guest is? Massive guest. There's not many athletes, and we're going to actually get into this with him, but there's not many athletes that transcend their sport. So really looking forward to this one. Let's get into it, eh? Nick Kyrgios, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for joining us. No worries, boys. Any Anything for you at 8am. <laughs> Did you get your morning coffee in? Not yet. I literally just rolled out of bed. No, I got to sleep late last night, but I was looking forward to this. Uh, we really appreciate it. it. What's been going on? You got Wimbledon coming up? Yeah, I got a couple of tournaments coming up, um, heading overseas. Pretty much skipped the whole clay court season. You know, I need my time at home. Um, learned that pretty early in my career. You know, I tried to do that six, seven months. Got pretty lonely, so just decided to pick out stages of the year where I just kind of stay home with my family, friends, girlfriend, and just enjoy it and then reset. So what's that look like? So the Wimbledon's at the end of June, I believe? Yeah, Wimbledon should be around at the end of June. Um, obviously, I feel like I got a pretty good shot to do well. No ranking points this year, but you know, I think I still, you know, to be able to do well there is, is, and have that on the resume is, um, you know, a good thing. So I'm going to go there and play. No ranking points, but what was the prize money we were yeah, talking I, about? I think it's 4.7 million pounds. Oh, mate, so I wouldn't be I mean, too worried yeah, about the points. I, I don't you? Know, I, 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 I'm not playing for points anyway. So you know, we'll see. When did that kind of stop in your career? I mean, obviously, early on, I'd assume you'd want to kind of. Everyone talks about top 10 being number one and all mm. this kind of stuff. It feels like as of late, you've kind of taken a step back from that and you just really wanted to enjoy playing a sport you love and you just so happen to be doing it on the big stage. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think rankings for me kind of blew out the window pretty early on in my career. It's not something I wanted to, you know, I got up the ranks pretty early in my career and it was like nothing really changed. I felt like people just respected my game rather than my ranking. And, you know, I went on tour like a month ago and I played some of the top guys in the world like... Andre Rublev, Kasparu, these guys are top 10 in the world. And, you know, I was beating them pretty convincingly. So I just go out there and do my thing, honestly. I just love, you know, showing that I'm, a, I'm capable and believe myself and, and anything's possible, really. What, what is the reason? Is it so Russia aren't allowed to play in the Wimbledon? Is that the, is yeah, that the whole Russia story behind it? Yeah, Belarusians aren't allowed to play. So yeah. I think, yeah, it's, for me, it's crazy because, you know, they, they, most of these players actually kind of spoke out back against Russia saying, like, no war and stuff. So they can't even go home. So I don't yeah, even know what they're right. going to be doing those those weeks. I saw the F one as well. They ban. Yeah, I've never yeah. banned Russian drivers. It's crazy. Yeah. So who's it, like Medvedev? Medvedev. Yeah. Rublev. They've got a lot of decent players in yeah. like top top thirty that would have a decent chance to do well. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Nuts. Talk us through the Australian Open this year. 
I mean, just to watch, it was just something so different. I mean, tennis is always good. We we play social tennis together, actually, and we've always enjoyed watching it. But yeah. this was just a whole other ball game. You saw in that interview was like you said that the crowd was like a zoo. Like it was just nuts. How was how was that whole experience? Yeah, I mean, look, I I think COVID had to play a fair part in it. I feel like you know, I think Melbourne did like three hundred days in in hard lockdown. So I feel like every time the AO came around, they just wanted to get loose, get rowdy. And, um, yeah, it was insane. This year was crazy. Um, I kind of knew that though, from the get go, as soon as I came out there in my singles match, I knew that the crowd was just ready to go. They needed something to get behind. And, you know, I felt like I could start creating a different crowd. That's been my goal the last couple of years. Like I feel like tennis is so boring and it's so just mundane and there's no, no personalities. And I feel like once those big three guys kind of drop out, Roger, Rafa and, and Novak, the sport's going to really, really struggle. And, you know, I feel like you know, making doubles interesting, you know, every time I play the crowd, the stadiums are full. The crowd was nuts, man. I love it. There's nothing like it in tennis. I think when I play in Australian Open, it's, it's, it's crazy. What's that like trying to find that balance? Obviously there was a few times when you were serving and stuff and mm. there was just idiots yelling out and you said a few things back <laughs> yeah. and then, but I think that goes to show the rapport you have with the crowd. Yeah. Is it sort of hard to get that balance with them or do you think it's just a respect thing? Um, well, I guess it's, it's, it's hard to find that balance. I think Obviously, they, you know, even when people see me on the street, like, they think I'm just absolutely crazy. Like, I'm two completely different people on and off the court. Like, on the court, I'm just literally, I don't, I can't explain it. I'm just mental, like, really competitive, like, sickly obsessed with just, like, putting on a show and, and, and winning. But then off the court, I'm very chilled out. So, I don't know. I think people in the crowd just think I'm full, just just nuts, like, literally <laughs> nuts all the time. So, that, you know, they're just screaming out. And I don't know. I just... Obviously, when I'm acting like that, it's hard to find the balance because the crowd then thinks yeah. it's okay to, you know, act that certain way as well. But I think there's that gray area where, you know, during the point or before I serve, you've got to kind of chill out with it a little bit. But, I mean, look, the ex- AO experience this year was nuts. Do you find it hard to compose yourself? I remember there was one point and you'd, I'm trying to think what happened. You, you pulled wide and, and cut back a shot and you took a bow to the crowd yeah. and everyone's going crazy. You, yeah. Your adrenaline just just be through the roof. How do you then go back and just serve the next point? Um. Well, I've been doing it for a long, long time as well. And I've been doing, I've been playing the same way since I was like 10 years old. That's what people don't, people think that I'm trying to act a certain way out there, but I've literally, anyone that knows me, anyone, my close mates and anyone that's watched me play, like I was crying when I was 10 years old on court, like trying to do these like crazy highlight shots and nothing's really changed. So, um, I don't know. I just look at my box, I look at my team and, and they, they know that, you know, I'm, I've just got the crowd in my palm, the palm of my hand and I just go out there and then just, just ride the wave. And look, they all know that. Being with me and being in my team's a bunch of ups and downs. Like I've ridden the roller coaster my entire life. So um, it's nothing new. So you speak about tennis, how it can be quite boring and a bit mundane. And, you know, it's a lot of the old school kind of wear your whites and very traditional. Mm. I'll just put it straight to you. When you came in at a young age, you kind of split the nation. Yep. You're either loved or you are hated. Yeah. And it's just to be frank, how did you deal with that pressure at such a young age and all that being in the spotlight and that emotion that comes with it? Um, I struggled. I definitely struggled. Um, you know, I was just a normal kid from Canberra who, you know, I was traveling overseas when I was 14. And the beauty about tennis is it really, it was a big eye-opener for me. I was going to places like China, India, some rough places in Asia, um, through Europe as well. And and it was massively eye-opening to see 14-year-old kids come begging to me. And I feel like I've always had that, you know, tennis. I feel 20, I'm 27 years old, but I feel so old. I feel like I'm 60, the amount I've seen and how much I've dealt with, um, so I don't know when I was 18, I kind of just, I was 
just playing tennis. I was still at school. Like I was going to school in Canberra and I don't know, it kind of just changed overnight when I played Nadal at Wimbledon. I came back home. There was reporters camping outside my house. And, man, I was just a kid like just a normal eight to 17, 18-year-old kid that was going to school in Canberra and I was just didn't know how to deal with it. Um, I felt like it was tough because then I started dealing, dealing with all this negativity that, you know, I don't think any sort of person knows how to deal with in today's day and age, especially with social media and all that type of shit. So um, I just really struggled and... You know, I just got obviously got told like you're the next big thing in tennis, next big thing in tennis, and you know there's so these large shoes to fill, and I kept trying, 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 and it just ended up kind of snowballing into this big sort of dark cloud. So um, it was hard, but I had a good, you know, I had a good uh, good team around me to kind of try and navigate through it. But I think I had to figure it out myself. Obviously, there's the doubles aspect which mm. you really enjoy, but majority is singles. Yeah, and a lot of athletes, you know, look at swimmers who have in that individual sport, how hard is it when, you know, you're responsible for your performances, you're responsible for the results? Well, what gets you through that? What bits of advice have you got from legends about coping with that? Because it's vastly different to like a team sport. So, Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I respect the legends of the sport um, in tennis, but I feel like they don't really understand, you know, how much athletes of today's day and age really deal with, like in the social media aspects of like, for instance, I could just wake up today, go through my Instagram and, and see millions of negative comments. Yeah. Whereas if, I just don't think legends of the game understand how like dark that can actually be if you take, you know, take them seriously. Um, but yeah, it's, it's brutal, man. Like, especially tennis playing in Australia, people don't understand like, you know, if you're from America or Europe on the tennis tour, you lose one tournament, you go back home, you catch like a five, five hour flight, you're back home with your family, you see your dogs, you get, you know, you're comfortable again, then you reset. But in Australia, like you got to grind it out for six, seven, six, seven months in a row. And it's just, it's brutal. Like, and man, I've, I got into some weird, weird situations, like five months into my trip when I was alone, like in places like you know, Belgium and, and you start like doing some weird, weird stuff <laughs> and you really, you, you, you learn a lot about yourself and cause you know, then the next day you got to be playing against potentially Rafa Nadal after you've just been alone for six months and then that's on TV and then you might smash a rack and that's broadcasted all through Australia and people don't really know yeah what's going on. So, you know, obviously I love the team environment. I love, you know, I love even just when I'm watching like you know, footy or basketball or soccer, you know, I just, I wish that I played a team sport. I just love leaning on my mates and I love, you know, the travel aspect with them, but tennis and swimming and golf, like it's brutal. Like it's to have all that pressure on yourself. I feel like all the cameras always on you. Everyone's watching every move. It's pretty tough. So we just spoke about the Oz Open and obviously winning with Tanasi, the doubles, mm. but what also happened out of that Oz Open was an Instagram post with you about mental health. Do you want to sort of talk us through that post? Yeah. Um, you know, I was about in 2019. I think it's crazy because in 2019, I probably had one of my best, I think, result years on the tennis tour. And obviously, I learned pretty early on that winning just seems to cure everything. You know, around you, your family thinks that you're doing fine. Everyone thinks you're doing fine. Um, but that was such a dark year for me because, you know, I was playing fourth round of Australian Open. Obviously, Kobe passed away. Um you know, with everything with the bushfires was going on and I was doing my part trying to help with that. And I was just honestly in the worst possible kind of mindset that year. You know, I was obviously self-harming in the photo that I posted and I just was never able to share it. I didn't feel comfortable coming out. I was almost scared to share the way I was feeling because I don't think Nick Kyrgios was able to feel that way. I don't think anyone would have respected if I felt that way. Um, but then, yeah, I shared this post pretty recently um, and 
you know, I just felt like the amount of messages I've got from that and how many people I've helped and how many people I continue to, you know, I literally go upon myself to go through my Instagram messages and reply to, to people and, and get their numbers and stay in contact with them because I just know that, you know, everyone is just really dealing with something. And I feel like I never judge anyone anymore because I've just done some terrible things. I've done some dark things. I've been in, through so much that I'm all, I'm, all my goal is now is just to guide people through guide through people that shit because it was brutal for me like it was just it was so hard I felt so alone and obviously to the point of self-harm and 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 thinking about committing suicide it was it was tough like but then winning tournaments seemed to just mask all of it which was the darkest thing ever because the media I was just watching the media refresh refresh and it was like oh has Nick Kyrgios turned a corner has Nick Kyrgios really learned how to put things together and I was like winning tournaments like winning tournaments for millions of dollars and you know having no no stress in the world but I didn't even want to get out of bed do you know what I mean and like live I hated like the avatar that was created for me so that was it was pretty powerful um and I look back on it with pride like all that all that stuff I went through I I like I almost like seeing someone that I know that's dealing with a lot because I can go up to them and help them so yeah so to us looking in at that stage of your life you'd go play a tournament you'd win a match yeah you'd be off the camera yeah. Oh, he's probably gone, had an ice bath, yep. gone, had dinner with his team, had a laugh, woke up the next day and played. Yeah. In reality, what was your day looking like? Um, well, yeah, it's not, not so much like that. Um, I was just literally probably drinking every night, probably at least, and this is no word of a lie, probably drinking 20 to 30 drinks every night. Um, you know, just in my, in my room on my own waking up playing, you know, in Acapulco, probably one of the biggest tournaments you can play. And I was literally in my room drinking and I'm about to play my first round and I'm just like literally contemplating whether, you know, I wanted to, to even live at that point. And I was just standing on the, on the balcony in my room and my trainer came in and he was just like, look, we got to go out there and play in 10 minutes. So I played that match, ended up winning. And then I won that tournament. I beat Nadal, Zverev, Wawrinka, some of the best players in the world. And probably one of the best results of my life. And that was just literally, I was just going back to my room, partying every night, like, but it wasn't even partying. It wasn't even for the, the enjoyment of doing it with your mates. I didn't even know anyone I was with. Um, and just doing it all again, like waking up, hung over and just going out there and playing. And obviously Australian media was saying, oh yeah, he's, you know, he's doing fine. But I was actually in the worst spot of my career. And that was just to mask what was going on. Was oh it? yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was a mask. Everyone just assumed that I was doing well. But my close friends, you know, my friend Daniel, he's my best friend and my agent. He was with me the whole time and he was seeing everything was going on. He had to have my location on his phone because he didn't know which house I was going to be at, where I would have ended up each day, each night. It's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. Like talk about going out, drinking. When you were talking about that, my mind sort of just went to John Jones. Yeah, John Jones, like who he was so many reports about how he would just go on a bender a week before fight week, mm. weigh in, fight, win world championships. And when you when you're in that stage, was yeah. it like a necessity to do that things, or was it just like this is how I'm going to cope with it? Did you um, feel like you needed to sort of keep up an appearance, or was it just this is my coping mechanism? It was just, I think I was just, I was just so miserable. Like I was just so miserable. Like I just felt. The reason I started, <clears throat> I think, drinking and, and doing all the drugs was because, I don't know, I was just like so miserable all the time. Like I would train to and play at such a high level that I just, it was almost an outlet obviously to deal with the pressure I think at times, but 
Well, I've been dealing with so much pressure since I was like 17 and I still deal with it to this day. Every time I walk on court, people expect something from me. So I deal with that fine. I think it's more just, I just hated, I hated my life. Like I hated, I wasn't able to trust anyone. I fell out with my family. I pushed all my good friends away. Um, you know, I was just going through so much that I was just like, kind of just took my mind off it. And it was just, it was, I was, and I literally was just killing myself. Literally at Wimbledon, my dad woke up after I came out, um, you know, I came back home from a night out. My dad was just next to me, just crying, basically just saying, look, like you got to stop all this. Like it's, you just got to stop it. And that's when kind of clicked to me. My dad never cries. Like he's a strong man. He, um, you know, he gets disappointed easily, which is almost worse. But when he started crying, I was like, I got to stop. Like I got to really fix this and turn this around. And I stand here today and, uh, um, you know, I, I just can't believe that I'm here feeling the way I feel, what I've achieved and able to just speak so freely about it. It's, it's insane. From a year, from two years ago, I never thought I'd be in this position. So again, in that post, you sort of, you've finished it off with completely turned myself around. You have a different outlook on everything. You just spoke about your dad. Was there another catalyst for that? Um, I just take nothing for granted anymore. I just feel like my mum's incredibly sick at the moment. Um, you know, she's been really sick for the last couple of years and I've, you know, been with her when things have turned south quick and she's had to go in the hospital, you know, moment like straight away, you know, being right next to her and I just never, I never want to feel like, you know, I feel like when you're doing all the, the drugs and you're drinking, you're just in autopilot all day, every day. You can't enjoy breakfast. You can't go in, you can't enjoy coffee with your mates. You can't go for a walk on the beach in Sydney and really enjoy it. You're kind of just coasting and, and you just feel like a zombie all the time. And I just love literally just going for a walk now with my girlfriend, getting a coffee or just, you know, playing basketball or even just training, just those little things I just ne will never take for granted now. And I think... What, like, look, it's all right to go out with your mates every once in a while, but I feel like once you get in that cycle of just drinking and drugs, just things just pile up, man. Like that, that was the biggest thing for me. Like once I stopped doing that, everything kind of just fell into place. I was able to think clearer and just really get my life back on track. Like I was, like I've tried to paint the picture to so many people. Like I was 24 years old, had millions of dollars, like have, you know, I got a place in the Bahamas. Like I had no financial problems. I had no like people would look at my life and be like, wow, this guy's cruising. But I was literally like miserable. Like I wanted it all and I would have switched it in a heartbeat for just something normal. Did you feel in a way, why am I feeling like this? Because as you said, you had millions of dollars, you were winning tournaments, you had a house in the Bahamas, you were living the ideal life. And you know, when you were 10 years old, if someone said, Nick, this is how you're going to look mm. like when you're 24, you'd without obviously the, ment the mental side of things, yep. you'd probably say, absolutely, I'd take it like that. Yep. Did you have a sense of almost guilt thinking, well, I have no right to, to be so upset with my life? Um, I don't know if I felt guilt. I just, I was just really sad. Like I just had, I wasn't able to, I feel like when you're in that position, you want to share it with the people that you love the most. And I just wasn't able to do that. I was always, didn't have a good relationship with my mom or my brother. And I just was always, I felt tense with them. I was going into my own house and I didn't really feel like I was part of family. And that was the hardest thing for me. I was like, I only ever wanted to start playing tennis and, and doing all this to actually share it with the people that I wanted to, you know, that got me there. You know, I'm not a person that, you know, I know hundreds of athletes who don't give back to the community. It's, it says nowhere in their contract that they have to do that. And I take it upon myself to go out daily and, and try and help. And, and I want to help my family and I want to share it with my family, my friends. You know, I love just going to, to lunch with, with the people I play basketball with and, and getting their lunch. Like just my generosity is insane. So I feel like I was just, I was like, I have all this and I'm just, I just got no one I, I could share it with. And I, I couldn't trust anyone. 
it was just, it was a dark place, man. But it was, I mean, as I said, to be here now, it's, 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 it's crazy. So you speak about Daniel, your best friend, and that moment with your dad, and you really wanted to share and, and talk to them. Did they start to catch on that something was going on? Or did they think you were just living the kind of athlete lifestyle on big money, or did they kind of know there was a deeper issue to it? I've always been the outcast of my family. Like they're always, we're, we're a tight knit family, but I've always been the one to kind of do my own thing and and kind of go against the grain and and obviously travel alone. Um, but I feel like when they definitely knew something was up. Like they knew the drinking, you know, even when I was in Canberra, I used to come home at all hours of the night and and they knew that something was wrong. Like they knew that I was just drinking too much. My mum would always, you know, just say like, you got to stop drinking. Like you got to stop doing this, you got to stop doing that. But I just, I just didn't want to change. Like I didn't want to change. And then I was just like, I've got the platform to help so many people. And it has, like, I would, I would just felt guilty, like not using it and not teaching the younger generation, like. Like I literally have pride, take so much pride in just like seeing young kids come up to me and, and just like now I wouldn't trade that for anything. The ability to help and, and give people confidence is insane and, and, and to get out of spots where you don't want to wake up, you don't want to, you know, go to work or you, you feel, you know, as a kid I was extremely overweight, got bullied, obviously being coloured wasn't easy. You know, I just feel like I've overcome so many challenges that I can just, I can get through anything. I've got some really thick skin now and I can just really help anyone. That was my main goal. Like that was everything I was focusing on every day. For someone going through that stuff, like in a cycle of maybe going out every weekend, drinking, drug abuse, what would you say to them? Just stop it immediately. Like, just stop it. Like, there's no other way. Like, it's just, first of all, it's just, there's nothing productive that can come out of it at all. Like, obviously, you know, if I go out with my friends now, it will be very rare. And, you know, it was like, it was like an every single second day cycle for me like every day and someone that's playing a high level sport it just like it's obviously the pressure just builds and builds and builds but to everyone right now it's like all right you can go have a night out with your friends for sure like embrace it and enjoy that time but I would just stop all the all the other stuff immediately to be honest it's just it's going to put you in a hole you're not going to be able to think clearly and it's just it doesn't better you at all like I know it's easy to say it like it but it really doesn't better you at all like, I'm not going to, I've had this conversation with my girlfriend. Like, if we have kids, like, I'm not letting my, I'm not letting my, my son or my daughter go out and, and, and waste time and, you know, be, be peer, peer pressured into doing those things. It just, they lead nowhere. They lead absolutely nowhere. And I feel like if you want to, you know, strive for greatness or, or do something outside the box, you can't be doing that stuff for sure. hundred percent. Speaking of that. So you've obviously this change of outlook that you mentioned earlier in the year, mm. you win the doubles. Yep. And you're on the first flight out. Yeah. Why? Um, well, Thanasi, I feel like, <laughs> um, look, definitely earlier in my career, I would have, I would have partied for sure. I feel like if you're celebrating something like a birthday or an accomplishment, you know, go ahead, have fun. But for me, it just doesn't, it doesn't excite me anymore. It doesn't really excite me anymore, to be honest. I feel I much rather would have just woken up with my girlfriend, gone for a coffee and, and really just been able to look back on, you know, where I was, you know, wanting to commit suicide to now winning in the Australian Open. Like I'd rather have that thought process at like a breakfast rather than coming out of a nightclub at 6am. But, you know, Thanasi's been through so much as well with his injuries. Um, you know, he's been through, I've spoken to him about it. You know, he wanted to stop playing tennis because he was making no money. Like that's the thing. You think that he was making good money when he was injured, but the the travel, you know, the coaches, everything kind of builds up and, 
just to see where he's at. I'm so proud of how far he's come as well because he was, you know, having some, you know, if, some, if something breaks someone down to tears, you know, it hurts him. So, you know, just to, I just let him do it. I was like, bro, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And he was like, no, surely you're not. And I was like, I'm, I'm leaving because I know for me and you, it's the best thing because if I was there as well. <laughs> recipe for disaster. Re- recipe for disaster. That would have been all of the news for sure. And and I, I take it a bit further than, than I see. I've, I've got that bit of the dark side in me where he, you know, kind of just goes out there for, you know, he keeps the control, but I don't have that. So I know that I've got to kind of rein it in altogether. So, you know, I, I don't regret not, not staying and partying at all. I mean, you speak about, say two or three years ago, you would have been out. So that's a huge credit to you and yeah. you should be so proud of that. Do you have any regrets? Nah, no time for regret for me, to be honest. I feel like, you know, I look at, I look back at my career and my life and, and everything I've gone through. I look at it kind of like a big tower and I feel like if you take one little block out or one little brick out, it's just everything falls, falls to pieces. So I don't regret anything. Honestly, I don't. Um, I look back at my tennis career in general and I say, I've done it my own way. I've gone against the grain. I haven't had a coach for five years now. Um, when I was young, I was taught like, you have to fit in this box. You have to tick all these boxes to become a professional tennis player. And I just went the complete opposite way. So I think I, from that standpoint, I've had so much fun. I don't think there's one player on tour that's had as much fun as I have and has done as much as I have, honestly. And I'm bringing, you know, I'm going to bring out a book at the end of my career and there's going to be some crazy stories in there that they're just like, people won't even believe. But I think from that standpoint and my life standpoint, I don't regret anything because I'm super proud of where I've come and who I am today. I feel like I've got so many strong messages and, and things I can teach people. I think part of the respect everyone has for you is that you have done it your way yeah, and you haven't conformed to what anyone has said. And a big part of that is obviously vibes and energy. Mm. How do you find it? What do you look for? I know you, you look to your box a lot. Yep. Is that just, uh, I'm on here, the crowd, what, what, what gets you up? Yeah, my, my box definitely cops it a fair bit too. Like, <laughs> I, I give it to them a lot. Um, but my best friend, my brother know that they got to ride the wave. They know that when I'm off court, they kind of, you know, I go up to them and say, sorry, like I didn't mean that in that moment, but I kind of did, but I didn't. Um, but honestly, I just, I don't know. I feel like that's a common struggle is like in just society today, people are always just trying to be something they're not. Like people will literally put more energy into like an Instagram post or, you know, a Snapchat than that literally like job every single day. And I see it every day and I'm just like, I want to say it, but I don't want to intrude. And I, I feel like people are just trying to impress everyone else. And then they get home at the end of the day and look in the mirror and they're just like, it's just a big front. And it's just like, I'm just so comfortable in my own skin. It's, it's a scary level of freedom. Like that's my message. Once you're really comfortable in your own skin and, and, and you're, you're doing what you want to do and, and you're successful and you're turning heads and people are taking notice, it's a dangerous level of freedom. You know, I, I literally make one tweet right now and it goes viral. Like it's a scary amount of power for one person to have. Um, and you're using it well to your credit. And, and now I, I realize that, you know, back in the day when I was replying to people or replying to haters and stuff, yeah, it was cool. Like it was fun. But now it's like I've got such a platform where I just help. And I don't know, man, like a lot of gets, like I feel like when I'm on the tennis court, I have a massive chip on my shoulder. Like every, that's why I'm so angry. That's why I'm so frustrated all the time. And I look like I'm just a different person because everything I've been through is just on my shoulders when I'm out there. And I can, you know, let that down when I'm off court. I can just chill. It's easy for people to to go at you for, you know, getting angry at court, mm. smashing smashing a racket. Mm. Half of those people probably have never played a sport in their life. Mm. I mean, we, like I said earlier, we play social. I've broken four rackets this year. Yeah. We played social at Moore Park yeah. with a bunch of 40-year-olds. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I it's a competition. You know, it's a competition. We're not yeah. just playing I couldn't with imagine playing on friends. The, but... Yeah, on the big stage yeah. how 
intense must be and you've just got all this emotion mm. and it just shows how passionate you are. Definitely. But if you don't show that, you'd have half the people saying, fuck, this guy doesn't give a shit. He's not passionate. Yeah. But then the other half, when you show it, yeah. go, oh, he's fucking too emotional. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, like, you just can't win, can you? Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm very, I'm in a very emotional person. Like all my friends, my girlfriend, my family, like I'm way, I'm so sensitive. Like little things just bother me like that. Um, but I mean, I always put an analogy like this, like if I was watching a young kid kind of play as an athlete, whether it's, you know, NRL, tennis, basketball, anything, and I see that kid like getting frustrated and, you know, not happy with the way he's performing and, and he's getting angry and he's letting it be known, like I feel like that just shows that he cares like a lot more than a kid that would just be accepting, like if that kid was losing and he was just, you know, kind of not making a scene about it or not smashing a racket or not screaming or swearing, it's like that kid's, you know, he's accepting like losing and I've never accepted losing like I hate it so much it eats me up like if I lose on court or I, I, it looks like I'm not trying trust me that day like I'm I'm not someone that is 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 happy so I've just never been able to accept losing and you know when I'm playing basketball with my friends they know that I'm just gonna compete and I feel like call you know, your own fouls what's that call your own fouls oh we have a guy <laughs> that kind of monitors it but it's like also, when you put the fact that you're playing for hundreds and thousands of dollars, yeah, like I feel like it's not that bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I'm just getting angry. You know, if I'm playing Rafa Nadal and we're in playing for three hours and the prize money's like 500 grand from that round, and I and an umpire gives me a bad call and I smash a racket, like in that perspective, it's not so. Do you know what I mean? It's not so bad. But obviously, the media is going to like portray it as if like yeah, yeah. you know I've been abusing like grandmas <laughs> or something crazy do you know what I mean so uh, but uh, like yeah, yeah. I, I definitely look there are times where I cross the line and I'm not going to say that you know I'm, I've always been a good role model for, for kids watching sometimes I do cross the line but that's just my passion that's just my emotion like you know I'm not able to control my emotions as well as Roger Federer but who is like there's like literally a handful of guys in the entire world that can handle their emotions like that. And they're just different breeds. Like, I'm not like that. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like that. Speaking about, so other athletes or other tennis players, is there anyone you come up against and you'll go, he doesn't like the way I go, like, I'm a real chance here? Or is there anyone that you might put it a bit on for because you know it just rubs them the wrong way? Oh, yeah. I feel like the majority of the tennis tour, when they play me, is, is very confused sometimes <laughs> <laughs> with what's going on. Um I feel like the you know a couple of guys I played at Australian Open you know on that court have been like it's just it doesn't do it justice seeing it on TV like the way the crowd is orchestrated, the way like people are screaming out and the way it's just it's crazy. I feel like I always have the analogy like when I'm playing Djokovic or Federer or Nadal like they're so used to having such you know professional kind of standards and you know their European country clubs that they play at are so clean and proper and if you look at my two courts that are around my house they're literally they're literally road with, with cracks in it and weed. So I'm just like, I just try and take them. If I was to play them there, what are my best chances to win? So I just feel like I just take them back to, you know, Watson, the, the streets of Watson and, and try and play that game style where I'd be talking with my brother and, and competing and it does stir them up. Like when I played Djokovic, the first couple, like the, the two times I played him, I was literally talking the entire change event and like talking when we crossed paths <laughs> and even to myself and he would just look back and he'd be like, this guy has so many screws loose. <laughs> Are you saying comments to him? No, just even to myself, just, like yeah. just the random everything and, and just little, if he missed the ball, like I'd be like, there it is. Like just little, like little type of things that just, 
he would just side eye me and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm right there. Like I'm right where I want to be because yeah. if, if I don't do that, my chances of winning go down immensely. Like if I'm just trying to be professional and out, outclass him, that's not going to happen. You know, classy and curious don't go together. So <laughs> I, I know, I know how to win. So you're comfortable in your own skin, like you said. How did you get there? So you obviously mentioned stopping alcohol, yep. stopping drugs. Yep. I mean, obviously you can say, I just stopped alcohol and drugs, but what steps did you put into place? Did you go see a professional? Who did you lean on? Talk us through that process. Um, I saw uh, three or four different psychologists. I went to this place in London as well, um, you know, where they kind of deal with people that just, you know, obviously may have you know, bipolar and all that type of stuff. But I was just so depressed that, you know, I just went there and, and, and just seeked help. So I definitely tried to seek professional help, but I don't think that was the thing that really got me over the line. I feel like just f not being, not pushing your family and friends away was a big one. You know, I feel like really just embracing that they, they do love you. Like I didn't really understand that. Like my parents and my family really do care about me and being home just Obviously, not drinking, not doing drugs was big, but just really leaning on my best friends. When I felt bad, just being able to open up, I feel like males, especially around our age, I don't even know how old you guys are. I'm assuming you'd be younger than 27. Yeah, 20, you're 23 as well, right? Yeah, like yeah. people our age, they really struggle to like open up about just how they feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, and I, I was a victim to that. Like I was Nick Kyrgios, who was 23 year old, 23 years old, who was like dealing with mental problems, like... I, I would feel like it was a big deal, but I was so afraid to open up to anyone. Like, especially even to, like, I didn't want girls thinking that I had mental issues and like I was soft or, you know, I feel like guys just try and put on this persona that they're so tough. They're like, want to, they want people to know that they're just the toughest guy, but inside they're hurting. And it was just okay to, you know, open up to my best friends, open up to my parents. And then once that was accepted, I was like, look, I can really like, that's okay. Like I can deal with my problems now. Like I felt like that was me having my problems and then going out on court and trying to act as if I was fine. That was the biggest thing. Like it's okay to feel like shit. It is okay to feel bad and it's okay to feel like you're not enough at times. I felt like that every day. I was disappointing everyone. But now I just, it's normal. I think it's a normal part of the process. Yeah, and I think normalizing that, hopefully more conversations around that. Like yeah. I see it all the time as well. Like I see... You, you see it, I see it when I'm, you know, training or when I'm at a tennis center, I see kids that, you know, may not be, you know, having the best day and you look at their confidence and their body language and I see myself in them or I see when I go out, say on the weekend, I see guys that I know that are hurting inside that are trying to just act as if they're fine. And, you know, that's just, it's, we've, I think society's kind of built that image that we've got to try and act like we're okay all the time. We love the analogy that Another guest of ours, Mark Mitchell, had he's a well-known physio around Sydney, yeah, and he's worked all over around the world with different athletes. And he always says, and saying you would obviously relate to, if you get injured in sport, you go straight to the physio. Yeah, no one cares. You know, the news posted everywhere, six to eight weeks he's out for, and it's and it's a big thing. Mm. But as soon as you you realise that your mental health is a bit damaged, it's just yeah. oh fuck, tuck that away. Let's not talk about that. Literally, no different. It definitely needs needs to be attended to more so I think than obviously physical injuries are horrible but yeah I agree with that analogy big time like and you should take as much time as you need that's what I've learned now like if I'm not feeling ready to play and I'm not mentally prepared and I feel like you know I'm sliding a bit mentally I just won't get on the court because I know that if I go on court I'm going to have all those thoughts where they it once put me in that spot and I know if I act up once the media is going to go crazy and it's just going to pile on and pile on and then 
I could potentially creep back into some bad habits that I just don't want to go down. So I agree with that. That's, that's an amazing analogy. We've got a few fan questions. We mm-hmm. put out uh, a couple posts. <laughs> this one off the bat. No worries. How much money have you lost from fines? Well, all the fines that I get fined go to charity. So that's okay. fun. So the ATP literally sat down with me and they're like, <laughs> they're like, is that just for you? No, that's, no, that's, that's for everyone. everyone. Okay. So every time we get fined, they're like, it's going to charity. And I was like, I don't know why you would tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, look, I probably would have in my entire career, man, I've been hit with some big ones, but I mean, I don't think all the time it's been fair to be honest, but I would say I'd be approaching, I reckon, 800 grand, I reckon. It's more reputation based than what you actually did. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. I feel like if you look at what some other players have done yeah. and then you put me in that position, I would have been suspended for like three, four years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was a player who hit a ball, like in anger, at an umpire and hit his eye and the umpire had to get surgery. And he only So got he deliberately f- aimed at him? No, he didn't deliberately aim at but him. But it's he like, snapped. he snapped. He was supposed to like skyrocket the ball, hit the umpire in the eye, got fined five grand and the umpire had to get surgery. And like I've, I got fined fifteen thousand pounds at at this tournament for like, kind of doing this thing with this water bottle, <laughs> and it was like fi- like fifteen thousand pounds. Like you get it up on YouTube, it's hilarious. I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying, but like fifteen thousand pounds, that's like thirty grand. And I was like, this guy put a guy in the ICU, like, like for his eye, and I'm I'm just like having a bit of fun with my. I was just looking at my team, and I didn't realize the camera was on, but it was at what well, probably like the most prestigious tournament. So anyway. Mate, one of the funniest moments I think I've seen with you was when you won, I think it was a third or fourth round at Wimbledon. And, you know, Wimbledon's so, so proper. Yeah. And the, the commentator who was talking to you was so proper. It wasn't like Jim Curie or someone. And then and he goes, what are you going to do tonight? And you go, look, honestly, I'm probably just going to go play Call of Duty. Yeah. Maybe some FIFA, <laughs> yeah. go to sleep. And I think you've got doubles tomorrow. Like, yeah. What does preparation look like for you? Is it is it just being yourself once you've done the work? Yeah, for sure. Like I'll obviously get physio you know i travel with my physio most of the time so he'll treat me and then i'll literally game for like at that that wimbledon in particular it's funny i played andy murray in the fourth round and i literally was just playing fifa online for like i probably woke up at 7 30 and i played fifa online for a good six seven hours like no word of a lie and my physio every couple of hours like all right it's time to get off like probably should get off you know get some fresh air get some food maybe get a coffee and it got to about 4 p.m. And I'm playing Murray at 6 p.m. So I haven't, I haven't eaten, haven't got a coffee, haven't moved. Like, smell like, smell like, you know when you got that gaming smell? Yeah. And I literally, like, went on court against the, Murray, got smoked. And, like, every time I blinked, like, I, all I could see was, like, FIFA in my eyelids. And I was just like, I looked at my box. I was like, I've lost. Like, I can't play. Like, I played way too much FIFA today. <laughs> got smoked. Like, smoked. And then just, ever since then, I stopped gaming, like, ridiculous amounts before I played. But... It's, you know, I don't game so much anymore. I, I, I just don't have time, but I'd, I'd love to. Another fan question we got. Have you got an exit strategy out of tennis and how do you find your identity outside of the court? Um, I feel like, you know, I work with a lot of businesses as well outside of my tennis. I feel like my off-court, my off-court you know, business plan is quite, quite strong. You know, I feel like I, I you know, had a meeting yesterday. Like I, I always try and stay proactive with that because I know tennis isn't going to last forever. Um, I feel like I've built a pretty good platform and a pretty good profile, you know, to to find things I can dabble in outside of tennis. Um, but look, you know, I feel like I've got at least two, three good years left, um, you know, playing at the top of the sport. So, you know, I'll see where that goes. And, you know, I'll, I want I want to have kids, um, you know, within the next two years. So, 
you know, wherever that leads. Another fan question. Toughest opponent. Mm. Toughest opponent for me, I would say Kane Ishikori. I have never beaten him before. I've lost to him like four or five times. I should have beaten him, but I think he's very underrated. But out of the big three, I think I think Roger's the hardest to play out of those three guys. I feel like he can – I feel like when you play the other two, like you feel like you're in the match, but Roger can make you feel really shit. Like he can make you feel like you just – you don't deserve to be on that court. <laughs> the way he's walking around. the crowd, No matter where you play Roger in the world, you'll never be crowd yeah, favorite. Yeah. yeah. And – I don't know. He can just make you feel like you don't want to be there. He can. He just puts like in. The, you look at the clock. It's been like thirty-five minutes, and you're down like six, two, three, one. And it's like, what's going on right now? With the other guys, they kind of you know give you a bit more, give 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 you a bit more of a chance. What's the conversations like with those guys? Like, do you see them? Do you do they give you maybe? Do they attempt to give you some advice, or do they talk to you? Like, what's what's the go? Do you are you mates? Um, I'm really good friends with Andy Murray. Andy, me and him have had some really good chats and we went on Instagram live once and that's when I was actually going through my dark period and he was like fine. I was like drinking on like red wine in the, in the online, which was, it was hilarious at the time, but I look back and I'm just like, I can't believe I was doing that. Um, but Andy's a, like the most humble guy ever. Like he could just pull up another seat here and he would just be talking like a normal guy, which is awesome. Um, Novak early in my career came up to me when we were like, when I was young and he was like, look, if you ever need anything, you know, I'm here, come to me. And then he soon realized that I think these guys kind of soon realized that I was just my, like my own guy. You know, I wasn't like a normal young guy coming through the ranks where I was looking to pick yeah. someone's brains or yeah. get help. They were just like, this guy's just on his own course. Like every time Roger sees me, he just knows like, if he sees me standing like and breathing fine, then he's like, he's happy. Like that's, that's the type of like vibe I get from him. He's, like, <laughs> you know I mean? he's not worried about my tennis, yeah. but the other two guys, I mean, I'm I'm good with all of them. I've got massive respect to all of them. Obviously, they're the greatest of all time, um, and I feel like I've played them. You know, had vi- had victories against them. So the respect for me is there. But we just they're not someone I would get a coffee with, do you know yeah, what I mean, yeah, or hang yeah. out with. Yeah, and that's fine. Or play cod with. Exactly. Or play cod with. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, well, we got another one from NRL Laughs, a good supporter of ours on Instagram. They're an NRL page. Mm-hmm. Do you think the media portrays you in a bad way? Um. I think some, like, earlier in my career, for sure, the first five years, yeah. Like, the amount of people I meet and I just have a conversation and I hang out with them, they're just like, dude, you're, like, the complete opposite to what you're portrayed to be. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I mean, like, I know, the thing about the media, I know that they're, like, the bigger the story, the bigger the paycheck for them. So I, like, play it now, like, whereas in, you know, when I was on the, when I was, you know, donating for the bushfires or fundraising and, and driving around for groceries during COVID and all that stuff. I don't do that for media. I do it because I want to do it. And that's what I mean. Like people are like, oh, don't you want the media to follow you when you're doing that stuff? I'm like, no, I hate that. Like, I don't want to be doing things for good press. Like, I don't care about yeah. that. And what, what the media don't realize, it's actually helped me financially, like giving me all this press, to be honest, like whether it's bad or good, it's just creates attention. Like, yeah. so that's what they don't know. So I'm, I'm like, I park in the wrong spot and it's on the news. Do you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> I saw, like that's what I mean. Like that's that's towards the extent of how much attention they give me in that yeah. in that sort of sense. It's good, but I don't even I don't even care about it to be honest. Like I know that people probably think like, oh, he's on the news again. Like I really don't care what the media says because I know like there was a article that said that my my girlfriend's mum was her sister. Like that's the credibility. They don't even know. Like they just want the headline and that's yeah. it. So. The media is dangerous, man. Like I don't even read anything I've read on the media now. I don't even, I don't even 
take any account of. I don't believe it until I meet that person yeah. or I understand what they're going through. And that's it. It's more of a laugh for me. Like when I see articles on myself, I just laugh. Like I literally just laugh. Like apparently I've, I'm getting engaged right now. You know what I saw? Like, cause you posted yeah, on it. Yeah. You did an Instagram like, story or like, something. Someone said, I mean, when like, are you I put married? one ring emoji. Yeah. <laughs> I park in the wrong spot. It's there. But that also shows how powerful, you know, what I can do with my platform is I, I need to be doing that. Cause if I wasn't helping people, I, th- I feel like I'm just doing them a disservice. Is there a blow up or a moment that you look back on and you just like, you, you love or you sort of just think, oh mate, that was so funny at the time. Um, like when I get off the court and I watch it back, I'm like, fuck, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's over the top. But in that moment, it feels right. Like yeah, if it, yeah. I just acting purely off emotion and look, if I, if I went back and I probably would have toned down some of the blow ups for sure. Like there's one in Cincinnati where I got fined 125 grand for breaking two rackets, abusing the umpire, spitting at the umpire. At the time, like it felt, it felt good. Like it felt good. But I look back and I'm just like, I look back at all the kids that could be potentially watching that. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, the level of the, the level of tennis I'm playing is fine. Like yeah. that's fine. That's great. People can watch that. People can watch the way I'm competing or like trying to stick it to the umpire. That's fine. But I think the line where I'm, you know, abusing him and, and spitting at him, like that stuff is not it's not okay. And there'll be athletes who, you know, will will we'll go through. I'm sure there's plenty of NRL players that, you know, in the moment they're just competing and, and they don't really they don't really care and that's fine. But then you got to think about all those like young kids that are looking up to you. They're going to try and act like you. Like that's what I was told. Like the amount of tennis players now, young kids that just are emulating shots or behaviors and like, you know, Leighton Hewitt's son Cruz was, was, was emulating things that I was doing. And then I was just like, man, I gotta, I gotta be better. I just have to be better. Yeah. I don't want to see, you know, our future stars, you know, I want them to win as well. Like, you know, I feel like I've won a lot in my career. But I want them to go about it the right way as well. What NRL team do you go for? Oh, I mean, I, I would probably say the Raiders. Like, yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I don't really know anyone. I don't follow it that well. But I like, I mean, Nick Kotrick, Like, he's Cameron boy, so I don't even know where he plays right now. <laughs> but he used to play for the Raiders. He's he? back at the Raiders. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, I follow the Raiders. Hey, you've referred to your girlfriend a few times throughout this. What's that been like meeting her? Amazing. Um, you know, I was. I've had a fair few experiences with girls um, and I kind of never thought that I would be in a relationship where I kind of was had so much clarity. Like I feel like, you know, when we have a home together now, I train and, you know, she goes about her stuff and we just kind of have such a good kind of dynamic where we just, we're, we better each other. I think that's the main thing in a relationship, like just able to actually hang out with the person and push them and hold them accountable without you know, like getting sick of them. I feel like that's, that's, that's my best advice for a relationship. If you can hold your partner accountable, push them, you know, hold them to a high standard and, and still able to be with them 24 seven and you don't get sick of them, then marry that person. Um, <laughs> oh, the media's going to pick up. On that's, that. fine. <laughs> that's fine. Like I, I, I've, you know, she knows where I'm at and, and, and I know where she's at. So it's, it's really good. Like I've, it helps me honestly, like happy, happy relationship. I'm able to train harder, able to just, you know, I like two years ago, I wouldn't have done this podcast. Do you know what I mean? And being with her, you know, just gives me clarity to come here and she, you know, holds me accountable. Like you've got this platform, you should go there and, and, and talk about your experiences to help. And that's how I know that, you know, she's a good one. Well, we really appreciate you using this no, platform. Of um, a lot of people are going to benefit from it. Last shout question. Out, shout out Corey. Cause he's Corey yeah, Carlos, yeah. yeah. Huge. Um, last question, I guess, you know, you said 
two or three years, I definitely think, well, we think you could go more at the top level. If you're looking back when you retire, what what's a successful career for you? I mean, is it already have you already had a successful career in your eyes? What does it look mm. like? Um, a successful career for me would be just I think I think there are a couple athletes around the world that are more than just their sport. Like you look at LeBron James and how you know he's more than basketball. You know what he does for putting th- kids through school, the role model type aspect. I think for me, if you just look purely based on following, like there's the, the big four and then there's me like I feel like tennis fan wise so I feel like for me I'm not just a tennis player like the way I go about it the how much I've overcome like that's more than just tennis I want to look back at my career and be like look I I, I was just more than someone who went on a court and competed like a dog and, and had good victories in one tournament it's like I want to you know my foundation in Melbourne the, the, the amount I help I want to be remembered for that more more so and I think people, you know, you can say that for a couple of years and people are like, oh, he's just saying that for media publicity or he's just saying that to kind of, you know, make himself feel better at night. But I genuinely live by that. Like everyone knows, everyone close to me knows that I've got a, I got a big heart and sometimes too big at times. I'm a bit like, I, I think if I was more selfish in my career, I probably would have had a better career. Like I think if I just focused on tennis and my, my body and not giving to people and I feel like I would have for sure had a better tennis career and I don't regret that one bit because I feel like my happiness comes from helping others. Right, you travel the world. You're, you're about to go to Wimbledon. You've won the Australian Open. Yet you're sitting here with us just having an open and, and free conversation, helping other people. Mm. I love to see the way you talk about how proud you are. You can see how proud you are of how far you've come, and that's a full credit to you. And we'd really like to just thank you for this opportunity and for letting us sit here and just, like I said, just be as open as you are. I, I hope you understand how many people you really are going to help and you already have helped and continue to to will do in the future. Well, I appreciate that, fellas. I mean, look, I, I, I was stalked to your Instagram and, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's all for a good cause. And honestly, the more, the more people you can get who've gone through it and you can share that, that story, it's, it's important because I was that person one time that, you know, was wanting to, to look up to someone like an athlete or, or anyone and, and, and know that it's, it's going to be all right, but there's going to be a lot of steps to take to, to get to that point. Awesome, mate. I wish you all the best with the upcoming tournaments and Wimbledon. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Turn up the talk podcast. Tackling mental health together.